Welcome back to the Can't Stay Quiet podcast. I am your host, Samantha Boswell, and I am glad to be here, back on here today, talking about what's happening in Canada. I have been hesitant to put out this episode because literally every time I sit down to go write it, something changes. Like almost by the hour for the last two weeks, there's been so much happening and so much going on and just so much information to try to summarize for you. But I realize that I've just got to put out what I have and keep going. Um, this is the news and politics. Stuff's always going to be happening. Um, so here we go. We're going to dive in. And if new news comes out, you know I'm going to hop back on here and add to it. So So much has happened in the last two weeks since we last talked about the convoy. Uh, The truckers stayed for over 20 days. Now, some people on the left, they tried to start to say that this was some sort of insurrection, that they wanted something comparable to a January 6th analogy. But for those of us that were watching the -the on-the-ground footage, we know that this is not what that was. Um, According to the post-millennial, a lawyer from the JCCF, there you are, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, representing the truckers, Keith Wilson, he clarified that at no time have the protesters or anyone involved in the core group asked for anything other than their charter rights to be restored and the mandates that are unjustly being applied to stop. So when people, even politicians, throw around terms like insurrection, they're simply using a scare tactic and trying to paint people as these far-right extremists or overzealous Trump supporters, which we know is ridiculous, but they're trying to deter people from speaking out, from showing support, and sadly for a lot of people, I think this tactic worked. A lot of people saw through it and said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I see what's happening on the ground. I see the people that are there. This is not a racist movement. Um, But honestly, I think that was kind of the most disturbing aspect about this is the way that they tried to spin it and toss around labels like racist and white supremacist instead of actually addressing the real issues that the truckers were bringing forth, the reason they showed up there. And they also wanted to ignore the, the BIPOC voices that were there. So we see this a lot in social media, especially in the last couple of years. People will be saying, you know, we need to listen to BIPOC voices, so black, indigenous, people of color, um, especially during the BLM movement in 2020. So even when riots were happening, people were saying, like, you need to listen to BIPOC voices. Um, and I don't even know if people see the contradiction that's happening, but they were not listening to these same voices that were in support of the convoy. So you had Aboriginal voices, Muslims, uh Sikhs, uh, black voices that were all in support, but people did not want to listen to these voices because it didn't fit the narrative. It didn't fit the mainstream media narrative. So I don't know if people saw the contradiction um, or if they were literally just so programmed to believe what the mainstream media tells them that they don't even realize that the media is dictating when and what they're angry about. So just, you know, if that's been you and you're like, oh, wait a second, I've been inconsistent. It'd be great to just take a moment and realize that and it's, you know, kind of feels like an embarrassing moment of like, is my anger actually dictated by the media? Um, But it's good to just stop and realize if that's been the case. So furthermore, and you know what, this might not be popular to say, but I've never really understood how we can just say listen to BIPOC voices as if it's almost implying like there's this one 
unifying voice. And I'm not saying that we can't listen to other people's stories and experiences, that we can't learn from other cultures. Of course we should. Things that people have gone through. Um, But this phrase to me is almost assuming that there's this one unifying message that we should hear from a single people group as if they're all saying the the same thing. And we know this is not true. For example, I follow some amazing black men and women uh, like Samuel Say or Virgil Walker, Candace Owens, Monique Dustin, who strongly oppose critical race theory. But if I try to elevate their voices, I will get called a racist because it doesn't fit with the mainstream narrative that promotes critical race theory. So this is just some food for thought as we're diving into this because a lot of uh, voices online are still trying to call this a racist movement, a white supremacist movement. But I think probably the most ridiculous thing that we saw come out of the House of Commons this week was Yara Sachs, the York Center Ontario Liberal MP, who tried to say that the truckers honking or people saying honk honk was an acronym for Hail Hitler. Like, you cannot make this stuff up what is crazy is that they say it with a straight face like either they are delusional and really believe that this is what people are implying when they say that or when trucks are honking their horns or they are just grasping at any straws to support their narrative because the bouncy castles and street cleanups and free food from the convoy was getting in their way they just had to come up with something but it's just so ridiculous and laughable Uh, most people online thought it was ridiculous as well thankfully Um, So backing up a little bit to last week, we'll get to the Emergency Act, we'll get get into talking about that, but before that was invoked, um, Candace Bergen, the current leader of the Conservative Opposition Party, she received some flack for telling the convoy that, you know what, you guys have been heard, I promise to keep fighting for you, we're going to, the Conservative Party is going to keep fighting until mandates are over, and she was encouraging that they should go home. And I've even gotten some flack for posting about um, some of her quotes and just trusting her so much. And listen, I understand the resentment that we haven't seen much of an opposition party for the last two years. You know, we had Aaron O'Toole and he was in that position and he did not provide much opposition. A lot of a lot of times during the election, he was saying very similar things. He was not standing up for us Canadians enough that were concerned about mandates, concerned about restrictions. Um, They were just not standing out from the Liberal Party. So he's not leading the party anymore. I kind of feel like he's not in her way. And I really believe she's standing for what she's always believed in. That's just my take. I know people that know her. I believe her to be a woman of integrity. And I also think that some of what she said kind of proved itself even the last few days. Because she could see, I think she could see what Trudeau was capable of and was genuinely trying to de-escalate the situation. And seeing what took place with the police after the Emergency Measures Act was proposed and that week that happened, I think she was right. You know, Trudeau was flexing his powers and these truckers literally after days of getting beaten down, literally, they knew this was not what they signed up for, this police brutality that we saw And it wasn't getting them anywhere, and so a lot of them, I think most of them, went home. I've heard rumors that some are still heading there, you know, even after this, some of them were heading home, that others from other provinces were then heading to Ottawa, but the majority of them went home. We saw the red zone that the police set up and all the barricades, and so I kind of think she was on to something. That's just my theory. Maybe she could have seen how Trudeau was going to escalate. He was not going to back down. He was, you know, doubling down harder. He was not going to even talk to the truckers. There was no 
hope for that to even happen. And so because they stayed, you know, and again, the flip side of, of course, I'm supportive of them staying and I understand not wanting to leave until you've really seen some change and some movement um, and not just like talk from these, you know, even the provinces saying, oh, and two weeks, we're going to drop passports. And then four weeks, we're going to drop masks. It's like, why not tomorrow? Like, <laughs> I know that they're just trying to feed into everyone's hesitations and be like, look, we're taking it gradually. We're doing it slowly. Everything's going to be okay. But these trekkers wanted to see some real change and some real movement before they headed home. So I, I understand both sides of it. Either way, we know what happened. They stayed um, and we saw the police response. Many of us were I know I was just in tears watching the live footage. I was like cooking all day and like had one earbud in for hours watching some of the live footage. And you know, this is the one time I've been really thankful for social media because, you know, we all know media has its downsides and it's created a lot of division, but we now get to see the on the ground footage from people that are actually there. So when we see the media try to spin things. We can actually counter their lies. We can actually know the things that we've seen. I mean, there's nothing like being there in person, but I watched hours and hours of footage and we saw, you know, we saw a peaceful protest. That's not to say there wasn't anything inappropriate that happened. Obviously, even from watching on the ground footage, you're not going to catch every moment. But as a whole, the actions that were coming from the convoy for the people that were actually there for the convoy, so not the random people who showed up with racist flags that were asked to leave, you know, the people that literally represented the protest um, and the convoy themselves, we saw the peaceful demonstration. We saw people bring their kids there. I have friends that brought their kids there that, that said it felt like a Canada Day. So when I see you know, people trying to spin this and say this was such a dangerous place and this was a insurrection. It just, the two things do not add up. So, you know, when the police got involved is when things really shifted and we saw it escalate. We saw an indigenous woman, uh, her name was Candy, be trampled by a horse. Uh, thankfully, I've seen posts from her that she is in the hospital and she's okay. Afterwards, she was still encouraging people. She got on a quick video. She literally was... Um, just in the hospital and all she said was hold the line so even after what happened to her she still stood by this is worth your time and effort um this is worth even being trampled on um she also tagged the ottawa police asking if they would update their report saying that no one had been harmed because the police chief said that you know nobody has been harmed and just totally ignored what had happened and again, I going back to just um, how the lens of race plays into things, I have to pause here because if you don't believe in media bias, you just look at this story. The mainstream leftist media loves to paint every story through the lens of race. We've seen that a lot. It's part of why you can look up this story. Uh, Tara Henley left CBC after 20 years, and she left over woke, quote, radical political agenda. And she is a liberal, she said she used to be the most liberal person to work for CBC, but as time has gone on, because of the shift politically, she's moved more and more to center. Not that her political ideology has changed. She's stayed the same. But things have advanced so far left that she's now considered, you know, center, right of center. And so she leaves over something, over a woke, radical political agenda. So you have this story where in any other context... This story would have been everywhere. A female Aboriginal leaders trampled by a police horse? 
Instead, you get the police saying there was no incidents of violence. They tried to blame a bike that got in the way of the horse or was maybe pushed in front of the horse. But this lady was on a walker. So from the footage I saw, her walker had to be somewhere. So to me, it looks like her walker is what is near the horse. There is another guy that has a bike, but he's off to the side. So I don't know. But just this whole thing was downplayed so much. And this doesn't even address the fact, like, why are the police on horses in the first place? Why are they walking through a sea of people in the first place? They just shift blame. They downplay the story. Um, and we see that they only paint things in the light that benefits them, benefits their agenda, and they don't really care about a lot of social causes that they claim to care about. So we also have reports from a pastor who was on the ground. He literally went to Ottawa. Uh, this was after the police had already started to intervene. He saw what was happening, and he went there specifically to pray for the people, to be with them as he saw some of the police brutality that was happening. He shared accounts of what he saw. Um, you can listen to the full interview on the Relatable podcast with Ali Stuckey. I definitely recommend it. He did not provoke them. He showed up. He was there to pray for people. He was not yelling at officers. He was not getting in the way, but he was struck by a police officer in the head, struck to the ground. That was the first incident. Then he was struck with a baton for helping up an older man that had been pushed down. And the last time he stood in surrender with another trucker who had got down on his knees and put his hands up to be arrested. And they were still beating people down. Um, even if they were surrendering, they were using their batons, kicking them once they were down. We saw, we saw beatings like this, pepper spray, tear gas. Like I have never witnessed anything like this in Canada and over a peaceful protest. It's just, it's been crazy to watch. So let's back up a minute and it kind of shift gears. I want to talk about the GoFundMe page and the financial component to all of this and kind of just give a quick summary for those of you that are following bits and pieces about the money being raised. So they raised over $10 million. I think by the time it got to the second platform, it was $11 million for the truckers in a little over a week. It was all going fine until GoFundMe decided to pull the page and call the peaceful protest an occupation. And this is not the first time GoFundMe has acted politically and played sides. They've left up pages like uh, Antifa when they occupied the area in Seattle that they called Chaz. They were fundraising literally to replace guns that were stolen from them in the Seattle's occupied zone. They also left up several Black Lives Matter fundraisers despite the violent nature of the protests that we saw. On the flip side, they took down a GoFundMe page Candace Owens had up after just comments that she made about George Floyd. Uh, they took her page down for comments that she made. So again, this the double standard. They also deleted Kyle Rittenhouse's fundraiser page. So this is not the first time that GoFundMe has played political sides. It's pretty obvious. They're very left-leaning and they will pick and choose what they want to leave up and make up criteria to base that off of. Uh, the Florida governor, a lot of us love him, Ron DeSantis, promised that Florida would investigate their deceptive practices. In particular, when this first happened and they froze what was happening, they froze the account, they stopped, they took, took down the GoFundMe page. Um, they said that if any money wasn't requested back for a refund, that they would be giving it to a charity of their choice. Can you believe that? I just... It would probably be going to Black Lives Matter, Planned Parenthood, I don't know. That is what I'm guessing. And so there was so much backlash from that that they changed that. They changed their policy and they said whatever donations had been given would automatically be refunded. So obviously they got a ton of pushback from that. Um, the funniest thing, though, that to come out of all of this, if there can be something funny, was that there was actually an anti-protest 
protest page that was up on GoFundMe. And they were looking to raise money. Honestly, I'm not really sure what they were looking to raise money for. It's something to do with like cleaning up the city, which is ironic because the protesters literally were cleaning up the city, like picking up trash, shoveling snow, um, you know, fixing up monuments and things. Like, I don't know what the money was actually going to be going to. But anyways, they raised a dismal $2,300 in eight days. So nothing compared to over $10 million. And a large chunks of these donations were literal joke donations. So people commented, uh, they gave $5 just to comment something ridiculous. Some people would put, uh, you know, anonymous, but a lot of people just put Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump or my personal favorite was Karen. People just said, this is from Karen. Or they would just leave... Um, you know, like satire type comments. One person said, I donated because threatening someone's livelihood for an experimental injection that lists death, heart attack, myocarditis, and stroke as possible side effects is a cause I proudly stand behind. I support government segregation because it keeps me feeling safe from a virus that people are dying from. I watch the news every day and believe every word they say. I am unable to follow a money trail or look at statistic websites. I don't ask questions. I don't learn from history. I don't think for myself. I just want to get my lattes again. I am on the right side of history. Stop the crazy truckers. Literally, this is a comment that was left. They gave $5 just so they could say that. So it was kind of a funny rabbit hole to go down and read all the comments if you needed to laugh in the midst of all of this. So at this point, the truckers switched platforms and they went to using Give, Send, Go, which is a Christian crowdfunding platform, and it is a pro-speech alternative. And it was going great until Give, Send, Go got hacked. Oh my goodness. And what's worse is they released not only the names, but the email addresses and the home addresses of the donators. There is a Google map link with it. You can click on it. I didn't want to click on it because apparently it like embeds the address into your Google maps. This happened to a friend of mine and mainstream media outlets were also using this as a chance to get the individual contacts so that they could call these people and ask them why they donated to the convoy. Uh, Again, this also happened to a friend of mine. Uh, CBC was reaching out to people. So just, oh my goodness, I feel for all these people with their addresses, I think it was primarily in Ontario and BC where their addresses were listed. Um, But beyond that, people have been going on a little bit of a witch hunt. There, it was an Instagram pages that were dedicated to posting about any business that showed any support not just that we're in Ottawa, but if they were at local rallies, they would take pictures of their trucks. They would post pictures of people who own certain businesses saying like to avoid them. And people were calling this the flu trucks clan. I can't even get over this. I don't even understand what they believe they are fighting against by trying to boycott these people. I think honestly, it's just believing Trudeau's lies that this was a racist movement. So somehow they see themselves as social justice warriors for doing this. I don't know, but literally people that were there were standing for medical freedom, bodily autonomy, freedom in general. But you can see the cultural shift that is taking place. CBC wrote an article trying to claim that freedom was a far right term. You can look it up. 
it is ridiculous. Um, but you know, you know you're on the wrong path when the word freedom is being demonized. You now cannot say the word freedom or you are considered far right. All right, so jumping ahead to the last few days, um, Trudeau tried to enact the Emergency Measures Act. So uh, if you're not familiar with it, the Emergency Measures Act was preceded by the War Measures Act, which was only used during World War I, World War II, and the October Crisis. And it includes things like the Prime Minister has the power to declare martial law, to seize personal bank accounts, which we saw some accounts being frozen, uh, seize private property, and seize cryptocurrencies in whatever way they are able to, and basically just banish all dissent. So according to the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the federal government had not met the threshold to invoke the Emergencies Act, in their opinion. They came out saying that the Emergencies Act can only be invoked when a situation seriously threatens the ability of the government of Canada to preserve the sovereignty, security, and to territorial, uh, sorry, territorial integrity of Canada and when the situation cannot be effectively dealt with under any other law of Canada. Governments regularly deal with difficult situations and do so using powers granted to them by democratically elected representatives. Emergency legislation should not be normalized. It threatens our democracies and our civil liberties. So it's kind of funny they were accusing the truckers of threatening democracy and yet literally using this legislation when it should not be used and normalizing it is something that they are saying threatens our democracy. So for a week, the police were acting under these emergency powers during which people's accounts were actually frozen for giving to the convoy. So they decided, right, that this peaceful protest was now terrorist activity. Um, a friend of mine called her bank, asked, hey, what's going on? Why is my account frozen? And they said it was flagged for donating to terrorist activities. So we're not just talking about organizers of the convoy. We're talking like a single mom who donated $50 and had her account frozen. And this is on the basis, too, of suspicion alone. No court order is required. Um, this can Accounts can just be frozen. And so even though the Emergency Act has been lifted, I know people's accounts that are still frozen that are trying to pay their mortgages and they're having issues with their bank because their account is frozen. This is how far-reaching and absolutely ridiculous um, this was. So since then, the House of Commons voted on the motion to officially invoke the Emergencies Act, and the motion passed. I remember watching it live, and my heart just sank. It passed 185 votes to 151. Even some liberals, like Joel Lightbound, he had spoken out against Trudeau's use of the act. Even though he's a liberal, he spoke out and he said, I don't believe that this should be used. But Trudeau basically threatened that if you voted against him in this, it was basically going to be considered a vote of non-confidence, which would therefore trigger an election. And so any liberal that was looking at voting against this was like, I don't want to potentially like the liberals to lose power. So he voted in favor of it anyways. Goodness, I don't know how you sleep at night when you know that you are opposed to something, but you just buckle under that pressure and threat. Um, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, as usual, right in step with Trudeau, also supported, and the motion was passed. So the motion then had to go to the Senate. And so for two days, we heard the speeches from senators across the country. Some of their speeches, in my opinion, I, don't, I almost want to call it fact at this point because this speech was just so... 
um, exaggerated and just so many false depictions of what was going on. But Paula Simons, a senator from Alberta, she called the convoy a circus of hate. Again, it was the most exaggerated uh, speech I've ever heard. She blamed all of this misinformation. And again, it's like these people would rather you believe the liberal bot mainstream media than the hundreds of hours of raw footage that you see from people on the ground. And you're supposed to trust the liberal bought and paid for media instead. Like, I want to ask these senators, were you actually there on the ground? Did you see what was happening firsthand? Because it sounds like they just watched the news from all the way in Alberta and made this up. So things were looking like they were going to be going against the motion, however. There was more speeches coming in against it. And what I believe was Trudeau saving face, he actually came out and revoked the measure um, from my understanding before they even voted on it. So I think he knew the way that it was leaning. He came out and said that it wasn't necessary anymore since the convoy had left. So he's like, oh, whoops, this emergency is actually not an emergency anymore, (laughs) which don't know that it ever was. Um, Honestly, this kind of felt like, well, two things. I think in some ways it felt like a big power flex to show you how far he was willing to go, like to freeze people's bank accounts. It's going to make any Canadians in the future on edge to show public support or give financially to anything that they think the government could later say, actually, you know what, this is a threat to democracy. This is now considered terrorist activity. Activity, And so I feel like it was kind of a bit of a power flex in that way. Um, also, I'm not sure if Trudeau banked on the truckers actually leaving. Maybe he thought that they would buckle down and stay and he would have, you know, legitimate reason to try to paint them a certain way and push for this um, emergencies act to stay. Or he assumed he'd have more support from the senators. There are senators that he even appointed that still voted against it. Um, I also saw an article from Armstrong Economics that said Trudeau backed down after banks screamed about massive withdrawals. So Canadians were moving accounts to the U.S., by tens of thousands of dollars. The demand for U.S. dollars more than tripled in the last week. Um, Others took out cash or turned to gold or Bitcoin, and apparently withdrawals took a 500% increase over a 24-hour period. So people were freaking out. I know we were having all the questions at home like, uh, so what should we do here? And I heard pros and cons for both sides on all of this when it comes to having cash or Bitcoin or whatever. But they say that the trust was lost in the banking system, that even revoking the act, it's not going to make it better. It's not going to make it magically all better. In their words, Trudeau drove a stake through the heart of the Canadian economy and that international capital will be skeptical about trusting Canada as long as Trudeau is in power. So again, Trudeau is just kind of messing things up for Canada here. Um, What's still concerning is that uh, Christina Freeland, she's the current Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and the Minister of Finance, she said, quote, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes all include all forms of transactions, including cryptocurrencies. So they're looking to try to expand their powers permanently. And instead of doing this through the Emergencies Act, they could start looking for policies to introduce that would produce 
similar results for some of the things they wanted to stay long term. So we need to be vigilant. We need to still be watching for bills that are coming down, watching the House of Commons. It is not time to let up and stop paying attention. We need to keep paying attention. We need to keep writing our MLAs and MPs and senators when things like this are happening and just stay on top of things. So the responses of the provinces um, with the convoy, some like to say that the convoy, convoy had no impact that Trudeau refused to speak with them. But on the flip side, provinces have been dropping mandates. They've been announcing end dates for passports and masks almost in unison. Now, many people, including myself, have been a bit skeptical, thinking that either a federal mandate is still going to come at some point and override the provincial ones, uh, because we see that there is this shift towards uh, a digital ID. I even saw a video kind of outlining this, uh, outlining this for Canada, potentially. So, you know, there's lots of reasons to not be optimistic quite yet, but really only time will tell. We gotta wait and see how this is all gonna play out. But at the end of this all, I think what bothers me the most is that Trudeau would rather call these truckers and everyone in support a fringe minority, which somehow a fringe minority led to the Emergency Measures Act, I don't know how, um, racist, terrorists, then have a conversation with them and actually address their concerns. Like all of this could have been avoided. I'm not even saying that Trudeau necessarily needed to give in to lifting all mandates as much as that would have been the end goal. But instead of even having a conversation, he just wanted to smear them and call them racist. Like this tells you everything you need to know about Trudeau. He does not care about the facts. He does not care about all Canadians. He cares about the Canadians who like him and agree with him. Go against him and he's going to call you a racist. So like, like him or not, you have to admit at this point that this is a characteristic of a dictator. And we'll get into more of this in the future, but the bills coming out against free speech, they are not helping him look any better. Instead of taking a step back and apologizing and saying like, hey, you know what? Maybe you're not actually racist. Maybe I should have listened to you. Or even denouncing some of the hate that we saw from the counter protesters. People literally had signs. If we're going to talk about, you know, the odd couple people that showed up with signs or flags we disagree with, there were counter protesters saying that we should gas the unvaccinated. Like, where was he talking about this? You know, if we're going to pick on the odd person to represent the whole group, but he doesn't do that. Um, you know, we also saw what happened in Winnipeg where the protesters were, uh, a car drove into the protesters. This guy got out on bail the next day where we have the organizer of the convoy still in jail. I'm not sure what's happening with that yet. And so just the double standard here is absurd. Anyways, thank goodness for whatever reason he chose to revoke it. I will take it as a win for today. But it's his character that's concerning, and I think we have ample reasons to still distrust him. All right, so at this point, I wanted to leave off with some encouragement for today. I have heard so many stories about Canadians that at this point, you just want to run. You're like, you know what? Texas and Florida is looking really great right now. And let me tell you, I understand that urge. Like, I really actually do. Um, my husband is American, and last year we went to the States for about three months, and we went to Tennessee and Florida and Texas and North Carolina, and we had an awesome time. Uh, it really did feel like another world down there. And while we were there, he got three job offers. We were not looking for job offers. We were just visiting family. But while we were down there, he got three job offers. And... 
Although, um, you know, one place we took really seriously, we went and visited, we met people there and just spent the weekend. And it was probably the windiest place that I've ever been. I remember trying to have a picnic with the kids and I literally like everything blew away and I was trying to meet moms at the park and like nobody was there. <laughs> it was really depressing. But the people that we met there were so sweet and so genuine and we were seriously considering it. There's a lot of things that made it feel like it could be a good fit for us. Um, we were watching everything unfold in Canada and we thought, you know what, like maybe this is our chance to get out and just head in a different direction. But literally the day before we were looking, um, they were about to make him a job offer. We both separately were just praying about it, trying to make a decision. And we both knew we had to come back to Canada. It was just so heavy on our chest. We we're like, no other decision felt like the right decision. And it was kind of funny when we both kind of like slowly told the other person like, hey, you know, I actually think, you're like, you think that? I think that too. And the minute we made that decision, we just both had so much peace about going back. And honestly, I had been so concerned about coming across the border if my kids had to get tested and all of that. But I had such peace about it. Um, we knew that mentally and emotionally, like we were still here. We were still invested. We knew it was not time to leave. And looking back over the last year, I am so glad we decided to stay. Like, the relationships and community and things that have happened um, outside from craziness of government and everything going on, it was so worth it and it was the absolute best decision. So I wanted to encourage you today, if you're kind of struggling with that and you're like, I just really want to get out of here, I'm so tired of this, I just want to encourage you to not make any decisions based out of fear. The Lord knows our days. He knows where we are to live them out. And I want to encourage you that you are no safer in the most dangerous country in the world or the most peaceful country in the world. We are in his loving care. We are in his protection. He knows all of our days from start to finish. He knows the date we're going to die. This doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean we don't prepare for worst case scenarios. I know I've been doing that. I know my pantry is full of beans and rice right now, you know, just in case. This doesn't mean there also doesn't come a day when maybe it is time to leave. And maybe for the sake of your kids, you're like, you know what? Okay, it's time to go. But if that time will come, let it come with the peace that this is the direction the Lord is moving you in. Not with the dread and terror of tyrants whose heart is just like the king, as the psalmist says. It's like water in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he pleases. The Lord is king and ruler, not Trudeau. We mustn't be afraid. And so a passage I've had on my mind this week is Jeremiah 29, 4, verse 7. It's talking about the Israelites who were living in captivity in Babylon starts in verse 4 saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. If you're familiar with the Antithesis podcast by Owen Strahan, he has an episode on this passage and I would highly encourage you to listen to it. But in summary, these are some of my takeaway points from it that greatly encouraged me this week. He said, the Lord has appointed our challenges. He will provide peace in the midst of chaos. He calls us to long-term endeavors, even in the midst of uncertainty or tyrannical rulers. The world burns, but God reigns. So build relationships. Link up with a biblically rooted and sound local church. Wherever you are, seek the good of that place. 
Strive to bless others and the welfare of the city. Do not live, live in fear of man. Limit your social media time. That's a really helpful way to do that. Unplug every day. Trust the future is in the Lord's hands. It may seem like we have less control than we ever did before, but it's just more apparent to us right now in these days. It's always been this way. So right now, I'm planting a garden, both figuratively and soon to be literally. And for me, that means I remember the value in the role of motherhood in providing shade for my children from the harsh things going on in the world right now, teaching them the things of the Lord, homeschooling them, investing into them. And this is my greatest call right now. First Peter also reminds us that he has given us all we need for life and godliness. So I will live and work as if I will be here forever. I will plant roots. I will cultivate community and relationships. I will plant a garden. I will also tend to my chickens that I have now. All right. That's all I have for today. I hope you leave today with a little bit more information on what's going on in Canada, a little bit of insight. And I also hope you leave feeling encouraged as well. So you can go plant a garden plant deep roots, have peace, walk with confidence that the Lord knows your days. That's all until next time on the Can't Stay Quiet podcast.